So good morning, everyone. My name is Jeremy Michelson. I'm the, the new administrative pastor here at Northwest Hills. Welcome here this morning. Uh, so I'm, I'm taking over for Fred. And uh, so Fred and I have slightly different gifts. And uh, so and our jobs are slightly a little bit different. But uh, so preaching here this morning, just important things to note, I'm not an emergency preacher. So Rich, <laughs> we had planned that I was going to be here this morning. So I won't. So you can use that to evaluate how my quality of speaking this morning it wasn't, wasn't an emergency, uh, but, it, but it was providential. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I, I went and visited with Josh and Rich and said, hey, I'd like to preach a little bit. I'm kind of a low-key person, as you can see from how I'm dressed here. And uh, this morning, I thought, well, you know, January 1, that's going to be kind of a low-key morning. So I thought it'd be a great opportunity to practice a little bit. And uh, it was providential because it also happened to be Rich was, would have been here, uh, except for he wouldn't have been. So uh, be praying for him. And uh, so I'm excited to be here this morning. And, uh, you know, before I jump into what I want to share this morning, I want to take a, a couple of minutes. It's actually more than a couple of minutes, but share a little bit of my story of how I got to be here. Okay. And, and the reason I do that is I, I believe that ministry happens in the context of relationships. And so me sharing my story is one half of that relationship. You, when you're instantly be friends, me sharing half my story. However, I hope over time, uh, as we serve together, as we, as we do ministry together, to be able to get a chance to know each of you individually and personally, um, because ministry happens in relationships. Okay, so a little bit of my story. Uh, you know, why why am I a believer? So I actually grew up in an atheist family. Uh, not really ultra overtly, but just in practice, they didn't go to church, they didn't talk about God, and so that was that was how I was kind of started being raised. And my parents split up when I was really young, when I was two. And so I really actually didn't have a really strong relationship with family either. Uh, and so actually I got more, most of my self-worth or connection through public schooling. And as you might imagine, public schooling is not, I mean, although I, I know several of my uh, teachers were believers, I didn't know it at the time because that isn't over at school either. So I basically grew up kind of in a, a God-free zone. And that impacted me deeply. And uh, I kind of got sucked into the, the math and science world. That's uh, kind of my personal bent is a little bit like the geeky side of things. And uh, so I went down that path. And so by the time I was in high school, uh, I was probably a little bit more on the antagonistic atheist side of things, just being uh, interested in science and origins and things like that. But God. Um, when I was in a senior in high school, a person I had worked with at an outdoor school um, you know, I kind of recognized that he had lived, or had lived differently. He was engaged. Can we turn it down just a little bit? Back here, it's a little hot. Um, the, the way he lived um, was a little bit different, and it, it made me stop and look at his life a little bit differently. But then he died a couple months later of a kind of a sudden kidney failure. And uh, he was not, not really old, but uh, not really young, but it was still really shocking. So that was kind of my first instance of, wrestling with death. Uh, and my, my worldview didn't have a good answer for how to deal with death. And so it, it gave me pause enough to start looking for truth and to start un- trying to understand what is death, what is the significance of this, does, is, there any, is there any knowledge or is there anything we can know about death? And so I went off to, uh, I went off to Purdue to uh, be an astronaut. I was going to the same school Neil Armstrong went to. The Guthries are here this morning. They are my fellow Boilermakers. I uh, don't think they are. Uh, so, but went off to Purdue to be an astronaut and was going into school. And 
one artifact of Purdue is it's also in the Bible Belt. And so there's a lot of campus ministries, you know, universities, navigators, Campus Crusade, and lots of other local ministries like that. And so uh, since I was interested in looking for truth, uh, there's lots of folks that were, lots, were willing to share. And so the first thing I really wrestled with was, can God exist? And so, uh, you know, after, after dealing with my friend's death, uh, kind of, it made me realize that maybe I wasn't actually an atheist. I was actually probably more of an agnostic because I didn't know. I was willing to admit that I didn't know. Um, but when I started looking at uh, kind of the, the apologetics or the science of things, I became convinced that there was more evidence for a designer, for a creator, than not. And that, you know, that didn't specify who God was or anything about it, but just that the world that we live in, the universe we live in, appears to be finely tuned for our existence. In fact, there's, there's a great pair of books I give out to people if they're ever talking about these things. One's from an atheist perspective, and he says this, his title is you know, Six Amazing Numbers and talks about how, how finely tuned the universe is. And the conclusion of the book is, wow, that's interesting. And then there's, the, <laughs> there's the, the believer version of that book that talks about the same exact scientific evidence and says, wow, we have a creator. So two different worldviews looking at the same data get two different answers. But from, from my perspective looking at it, it was obvious that there was a creator of some sort. So that led me down a path of trying to figure out, well, if, there, if this universe is created, um, then who, who did it? Um, and so spent some time. The next thing I kind of discovered was the, the Bible um, as, a, as a book, as a bit of history, you know, the not the, the archaeology, so to speak, or the history of it, it was solid. There was lots of evidence for it, way more than anything else. Number of number of copies of the old, uh, of New and Old Testament from historical times vastly exceed, with like three or four orders of magnitude, more copies than, uh, say, any other old Greek books or any other history. So the, the authenticity of the text itself was good. So that led me to start, well, reading the Bible a bit and trying to figure out what is, what is this talking about? And so I kind of discovered a few things. The first one was that man had a problem, or the Bible teaches that men have a problem, that we have sin. Okay? And you know, I, was, I, was, I grew up kind of a basically good person. I didn't do drugs like my, my folks did. I didn't do the bad things. So I felt like I was basically good. But, but I recognized, um, even though I do things basically good, there's still times when I don't. And I, I could tell that inwardly there was a desire to do not good things all the time. And so there, there was that desire, and so I recognized, and it could agree with the Bible, that, yeah, man, we, we got problems. And looking all around the world, even today, we got problems. Like, sin, it's a problem. So I, kind of, I, I could identify with that teaching in the scriptures of man having a fundamental problem of sin. And so kept reading along and uh, discovered that God had a solution to this problem. And the solution was that he took on human flesh, that he took on our nature in the person of Jesus Christ, and he came to earth, and he lived, and he taught, and he offered a promise that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life, would have a, a relationship with God. And then he went to the, the cross and died and paid for sins and rose again. And, and then the, the eyewitness testimony that we have is that that's what's happened. And so that is the... That was the nucleus of kind of diving in, and I could spend a lot of time talking about that whole experience, but recognizing and realizing God is real, and he has saved me. So I believed, and that sets life on a different course. 
Um, there, while I was at Purdue still, the little campus ministry I was involved in had a, had a church. I was going to a little church, not unlike this one in a lot of ways. And the, uh, one, of the, one day, the, uh, the song was talking about giving up your dreams, uh, being focused on God. And that's something I'd held on to, wanted to be an astronaut. In fact, I was going through classes. I was getting ready to fly a microgravity experiment down the Space Center in Houston. And I uh, was really, really enjoying that path of life, but recognized, oh, wow, maybe God had some other plans for me. And so uh, that very same message, someone shared about an opportunity to go down to Mexico City and to be an exchange student and uh, to serve. And it was very similar to the campus ministries that had been hugely influential in my own life. And I thought, I can spend six months down in Mexico City. Uh, this, isn't, this sounds like fun. Um, and more than just sounding like fun, I felt on the inside, hey, this is something I should do. And so I went, um, and it, it was a good experience doing lots of the same campus ministry things that I'm sure many of you have been involved in from time to time over at Oregon State. Um, but it was with, with the Mexican uh, students there, and it was a good experience. And the, the thing I took away from that experience, though, was uh, I had a mentor down there whose name was Rob Kirkendall, and he was a mechanical engineer and had worked for a while, and had gotten involved in serving in his local church, local church ministry, and the connections he formed. And he basically processed through, what, why, what is he doing? Why is he doing it? And it came down to this basic principle. He wanted to make the most of his investment, the most of his life. What was he going to do? And so he thought about it a little bit, and he asked himself the question, what is going to produce the most return? And his answer to that was investing in people, because people last forever. People last forever. Everything else we do in this life, uh, and there's lots of great things to be doing, but the only thing that's going to last that we're going to see forever is people. And so that was, that was kind of his, uh, his, his gift to me, uh, and it influenced greatly what he chose to be involved in, from being involved in that ministry that, that eventually led him, and the Lord brought him down to Mexico and doing all that. Um, so I, and I, I, can, I can share a little bit of that story there another time. Um, but then moving forward, so came back from Mexico and wanting to be involved in ministry. So I changed from aerospace into civil engineering, thinking we need a few less missionaries on Mars. Uh, even though, although I still follow SpaceX, go... No, okay. Um, the, so maybe a few less missionaries on Mars, uh, maybe a few more tangible, helpful projects, water systems, you know, things I actually was able to do um, relatively recently. So... Uh, so there, there was coming back, switching out. I met my wife out at Trout Creek Bible Camp. She was a cook. I was helping out on the summer staff, doing technical projects for the camp, having a lot of fun, uh, serving. Uh, so met Carrie, and she mentioned this little Bible school that she had gone to and was totally not really focused on it. But uh, I did some my, she got accepted to Purdue. She was going to come with me out to Purdue. We were going to be, be Boilermakers together. And, but then I got to realizing how much time I'm investing in my engineering studies versus how much time I'm spending involved in Bible studies because I really didn't know much. I mean, jokingly, my wife asked me some questions like, who's Abraham? I had no idea because I really had focused just on the accident. I mean, like, is, does God exist? Yes, as being in the gospel. Like, I was so far just in those details. I had not been to church growing up. I had no history, no background, and so... Um, so I got looking at this and recognized I, I was spending more time in Bible studies in serving than I was in doing my homework. So maybe I should pause, which my co-students, my fellow students, thought I was absolutely bonkers for pausing engineering school halfway through. Uh, but, you know, year three, so I paused and went, went off to Bible school, and it was a good choice. 
fact, I'd say if you if there's some younger people in here this morning who are you know leaving high school, getting ready to think about college, taking two years and going to a little Bible school, there's lots of them around. Um, good plan. It was it was really hugely beneficial. Also for as a couple, because we kind of had the same training. My wife and I actually have the same Bible training, and that has been hugely beneficial in our marriage and our walk and doing ministry together because we are on the same page, and it was a huge blessing. Uh, so really enjoyed that time of Bible school. After there, we came back here to Oregon State. That's actually where our story hits, Northwest Hills. So 12 years ago, uh, this was the, the second church we visited here in Corvallis as we were looking for uh, places to go. And uh, fell, fell in love with the place because uh, of an amazing young marrieds class. Uh, in fact, there's probably a number of them out here, here even today still. But just a neat group of people uh, that... Amazing relationships, amazing connections, serving together. It's kind of a special time I'm sure many of you have experienced um, before you have kids, before life gets crazy, uh, of being able to spend those time together and, and serving and serving one another and just you know, playing lots of board games, spending lots of time together. <laughs> and so uh, that, that, was, that was huge. We got involved serving. We did a number of, you know, Pastor Sean Penn from age goes, kind of took us under his wing and trained us and involved in interaction groups, involved in the men's men's and women's leadership classes, and so we, we were super plugged in. In fact, um, from, from that um, relationship is where then God kind of, we knew we wanted to be involved in ministry when we got here. In fact, we were telling folks, hey, yeah, we want to be missionaries someday. And so about five years after we had been here, um, we, and that's a whole other story. I'm actually still, still kind of involved in, our, in that ministry, so I'm not even going to go into all those details because this is getting broadcasted, and those, the country where we worked um, for a couple of years, was kind of a little, a little dicey, and they don't, uh, they don't necessarily welcome Americans down there working. And so, uh, so I'm not going to go into a lot of details, but we got called it down to do some overseas missions work, and uh, really enjoyed uh, those years. And uh, I could spend some other time. I will tell you some more stories about there. But um, so we, we came, came from back from that. Uh, the country was kind of falling apart, and still is. And uh, and so God made it super clear to us, man, it is time to come back. Um, and so we came back, and about two weeks after we got back, the kind of visa we had was revoked universally for all American citizens in this country. And so we kind of got back two weeks before we had to be. Um, and so it was, just, it was an amazing time of serving, but it was an amazing time to, to recognize that, yeah, we actually can hear and understand what God's telling us and have it confirmed in a lot of ways. Uh, so it was just an, it was overall a huge, encouraging time of being able to serve um, but also learning a lot about God and experiencing a lot from him. So when we're back here, we're working remotely, doing the same things we're doing down there, but remotely, and we did that for about a year and a half. And so that's where I'm, I'm coming here now from that, uh, from that team working remotely and uh, h- how that happened. So, you know, I was, we were here serving and, and doing some of the adult classes and being involved and some, some folks, you know, I kind of already felt like, hey, man, I wonder when, when's Fred retiring? Is that going to happen sometime? Um, and, and not like super like, oh, yeah, but it's just like, you know, it's kind of, you know, Fred and I, we've worked together on so many technical projects around here over the years. That I kind of knew what it was, and I like serving. Um, but then, then various people on staff, both you know, pastors and lay people and just folks in the office started asking me kind of privately. They'd kind of say, hey, you know, Fred's retiring here in a couple of years. What would you think about possibly considering doing that? And after the fifth or sixth or tenth conversation, uh, I got the idea, okay, yes, God, I get the idea here. We can, we can get on board with this. And so went and visited with the elders, and so they interviewed us and talked through us. And um, so here we are. Uh, and uh, so 
That was a huge, long introduction. I apologize for that. (laughs) But some context, relationship, I think it matters. Okay, now for what we're really here to talk about, uh, seeking the city which is to come from Hebrews 13, 14. Uh, If you have your Bible, open it up here to Hebrews 13. If you don't have your Bible, I printed out the the text that we're going to be looking at this morning um, here on a little piece of paper that was in your program, so that's theirs for you. Now, I actually saw this little passage in the, in the kitchen of Steve and Lori Binney, uh, and Steve didn't recognize, he didn't know where that came from, he said, I'm assuming this must be from Lori, uh, but it caught my attention, and the, re- the reason why is here we are, we're New Year, we're planning out 2017, and by the way, I've, I've decided that this is the year where we stop saying 2017, it's now 2017, okay, so that, that we've, we've crossed the line, 16 years was enough, uh, it's now 2017, we're now in the future, Welcome. Uh, so, I, so I saw this verse, and man's like, it, it directly tied into kind of the core concept that my wife and I think drives us, uh, this concept of looking at the future and looking for eternity. Um, however, looking at a single, a single verse like this is kind of dangerous. And let me explain why I, why I say that is. Okay, So I have this word here. Everyone take a look at that word, trunk. Picture in your mind... What is a trunk? Okay, everyone got that? Okay, I'm gonna, by, by a show of hands, this is a little interactive session here. How many people envisioned a trunk in the back of a car? Raise your hand. Okay, a couple people. Okay, those are the car folks. How many people thought of a trunk of a tree? Any forestry? Okay, forestry folks. Okay. How many people thought of a trunk of an elephant? Hey, we got some, we got some animal folks. How about a trunk of luggage that you'd put up in your attic? Okay, got some storage folks. Okay. <laughs> Okay, storage is important. How about the main branch of a software revision control system? <laughs> Any geeky people? At least, at least one? No? A couple? Yeah, okay. If you rose your hand with that last one, I want to talk to you later about doing some tech projects here. <laughs> okay. Um, words don't mean any... They mean... They have a, a huge range of meaning outside of context, okay? But it doesn't end just with words, it gets worse. Get it out of the trunk. Okay, here's a complete sentence now, and we still have no idea what it's actually saying, because you could be a vet pulling uh, something out of the elephant's trunk. You could be a, pulling a saw out of the, the trunk of the tree. And you could be a mom frantically saying, go get the stuff, baby stuff out of the trunk of the car. It, a sentence by itself doesn't mean a whole lot. Okay? Some words are less ambiguous than this one. This one's probably a little more on the extreme side. But whenever we look at the Bible, we can't just look at a single sentence because it's dangerous. We don't know what it means outside of context. And it's an important principle that they teach in, in, in seminary and Bible school. Uh, it's this whole field of study called hermeneutics, which is a big fancy word for the art and science of biblical interpretation. Um, and so one of the, the most important parts of that is context. Look at the big picture. And so that's, that's one of the reasons why expository style preaching, where you preach through a whole huge book at a time, uh, systematically is so important because you're understanding the big picture, how it all fits together. And I thought about, hey, maybe I should just start a, a sermon series and we'd start in a book and go through it. Then I realized if I preach once or twice a year, which is probably what is going to happen, um, that might be 20 years in a single book. <laughs> uh, so... So maybe not, uh, although I did, did visit with Josh a little bit after. It's like, well, next time we'll just share the same book and we'll stay in the same book. Which, so next time that's what I'll do. But, uh, 
So that's that's why sponsor is important. Um, here we go. Okay. So then I thought, well, let's start with a paragraph. And it, the paragraph for this particular verse, I thought, oh, well, let's start at the beginning of the paragraph. Well, the paragraph is a little complicated because I looked at a few different translations, and almost every translation had the paragraph starting at a different location, which is kind of crazy. And I, I thought I'd just mention this in case you're not familiar with that. The original writings of the Bible were paper was expensive back then. It was made by hand, every single sheet of it. And so they didn't take they didn't use modern rules of typography and use punctuation and spaces after sentences and spaces between paragraphs. It was all just smushed together. So here's a, an example of what this first verse would have looked like if you had just smushed it all together. And don't, don't be alarmed. This was normal. This is how they read. So they would look at this, and this would be normal, and that would be very useful. But just to say that the verse, the, um, the verse numbers, the chapter numbers, the paragraph markers, the punctuation is not in the originals. Okay, Those are all tools that the translators have given to help you understand to make it into modern typography. Which, Speaking of modern typography, Dave, if you could... Okay, let's go back to a little bit more realistic-looking things here. So New American Standard, which is what I'm using here this morning, starts the paragraph in verse 7, so we're going to follow their example and start in verse 7 and walk through this real quick. Again, just looking at the context, because I really want to talk about just that final verse. Okay? Okay, remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. Wow, what a good passage to start with here. Your first day full-time at work as a pastor, and you get this. Wow, it's a, kind of a, a jolting reminder to me to be careful, to, because there will be those, you're supposed to be imitating your leaders. It's an important reminder for us leaders to be worthy of being imitated. Um, and so, yeah, again, we're just going to look at this just for the context there. Uh, again, Hebrews written, it's New Testament, written to Jewish believers. Uh, interestingly, the author is anonymous, and we won't get into the, all the fun bits of what that might entail. Um, but let's continue here. Again, just looking at the background. Um, verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus is the same. He was the same to Paul. He was the same to Silas and Timothy, um, John, the previous generation of leaders that came before us, and to this generation and to our kids and their generation. God is the same. He does not change. Um, And, man, we could spend a lot of time just on this one concept, this one idea of God being the same. He does not change. But we're not going to do that today because this is just context. Um, Okay, verse 9. Do not be carried away by the varied and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, through which those who were so occupied have not benefited. Okay? So right teaching is really important. We can, we can get distracted. We can get sent off course by, by bad teaching. Um, and this author focuses on one issue in particular here. He talks about it's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. And that message is, is one of the core messages of the Bible, to be strengthened by grace. In terms of what, what builds us up spiritually, uh, it's grace. But what saves us, we're saved by grace. We're kept by grace. We're justified by grace. Our identity, our very identity is in grace, in Christ. Um, even the good things we, that God has set out for us to do, the, uh, the good works, those are grace. Those are gifts given to us that we would walk in them and do them. 
uh, our Christian life is driven by grace. Grace is received by faith, by believing, uh, by believing the promises of God. So in terms of spiritual encouragement and strengthening, grace is where we go, not by foods. Um, and I don't know, some of you guys, uh, if you're like me, if you're having a little bit of a down day, this is what you need, right? A little bit of dew. In fact, I, this is not the first dew in the, the sanctuary this morning. I thought saw Rent this morning in here with some, uh, some dew as well. But uh, any, any young person here this morning need a little, little pick-me-up? Need some, anyone need some dew? You volunteer? Oh, Martha Wagner was ready for some dew. <laughs> I'm going to call you out on it here. Here, we'll, we'll give this guy here some dew. See, it's important for the young people here to remember that hey, getting involved in ministry is good because you can give people dew and encourage them. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay, but foods, and so some people probably would say Mountain Dew, that's not really food, okay? But maybe there's some other foods that people would go to. Hey, they're feeling down, they need some, some, some juice monster, uh, sea monster. This is our, our family's go-to when you're not feeling good. In fact, someone, Gary, will you do me a favor? Can you run this back to Jeremy Childress? Our sound guy, sound guy here in the back, he is, he has a cold. He's still serving. <laughs> in fact, uh, Jill, just, he needs a nap this afternoon. It's, it's official. Uh, thanks for serving, Jeremy. Um, so yeah, so you know, food strengthening, strengthening our body, but it's important here to remember, not strengthening our spiritual walk. And sometimes I think we we start forgetting that. And you know, there's there's all kinds of products. Whether you know, are you a person who needs your coffee in the morning to be to be a friendly person? I'm not sure that's necessarily what's supposed to be strengthening you. Should I send this to Carrie this morning? I'll keep this for myself. Um, and and the final one here, which I forgot to bring the market of choice bag to go along with this one here. The, uh, the five, five greens per bottle, apple, celery, cucumber, kale, collard greens, lemon, ginger, spinach. It's a farmer's market in a bottle. <laughs> I thought about asking if anyone needed this this morning. But after that introduction, you probably aren't going to want it. So we'll, we'll put that back over there. Okay, so foods. We are not, our spiritual life is not invested in foods. Now, all these, I say all these funny things to kind of lighten things a little bit, but actually that's not what this text is talking about, right? You know that. Uh, this, this text is talking actually about uh, ceremonial foods and the, the commentaries. That, the, the, and if you look at different translations, they, they translate this phrase, not by foods, a whole bunch of different ways because it's not immediately apparent exactly what the author is referring to. Um, but in, in essence, it is talking about a... Either the Jewish, like I don't know if, you, if you've met or are familiar with Jewish folks, but there is a certain amount of ceremony, food, meals, special meals that happen. And sometimes we, sometimes we get in this practice of if I'm doing the religious thing, if I'm doing the, uh, the official dinners, the Seder dinner, the this, that, that, that's going to improve our spiritual life. And it's not, it's not the doing uh, or it's not the food, it's not the, some, something special we're looking forward to. Uh, that is going to be strengthening our spiritual walk. We're strengthened by grace. We're strengthened by relying on God like that. And so those, those things aren't, aren't bad, but they are not, they're not the source of strength in our spiritual walk. Okay? So real spirituality is strengthened by grace through faith. Okay? Thinking of food, we're going to continue uh, in verse 10. So he says, We have an altar from which those who serve at the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of the animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as an offering for sin are burned outside the camp. Okay. If, if you're not familiar with the Bible, this is going to sound really odd. Uh, in fact, it, it, is, it does sound very odd. Okay, 
So let's, what's going on here? Okay, so just like most uh, religious practices of a long time ago, there were sacrifices involved in Judaism. If you, and you can read about it in the Old Testament, and it's, it's, worth, it's worth some study. It's, kind of, it's a hard study, but what this is talking about uh, was a service that the Jews did uh, that was related to atonement. And what would happen is once a year they would take uh, an animal, and there would be a sacrifice that was made that was representative of the sins of the nation, and then they would send the animal out, uh, the scapegoat, out, out of the city. And there's, this whole, and there's and several different um, religious practices that are all tied together into this, this Jewish system of sacrifice. And it wasn't, and some folks get confused about this, this, this system wasn't designed to deal with sin. It was designed to point to Jesus, who was going to deal with sin. And so when, when John the Baptist is able to stand up and say, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes sins the way of the world, that's, that's the connection. So he's connecting all the Jewish practices that were uh, ceremonial and were required by God of the Jewish people to understand that sin needed to be dealt with, but it's actual dealt, it's actually, it's concluding, it's finality was found in Christ. And so those, all those examples, all those Old Testament things are helping us point to remember uh, Jesus. And we see that in the next verse here in 11, saying, therefore Jesus also, so tying, again, tying that stuff back to what Jesus did, um, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Okay, so that's the end of the, that's the, end of the information that is being reviewed. So then the author starts into a, a challenge to us. So let us go out to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. Okay? So Jesus' work on the cross was outside the gate. It was outside the bounds of Judaism. And it, tr- it transitioned, and there was a massive transitioning happening in these believers' life. They lived in Israel. They were Hebrew people. Uh, they were Jews, but they were becoming something different. Um, and there was a certain amount of social rejection that was going to happen as a result of leaving Judaism, in a sense. Okay? And so that's, that's what it talks about, bearing his reproach, is connecting what Jesus experienced on the cross and that separation is something that they are going to experience themselves. Okay? So then the challenge continues, and this is kind of the why behind the challenge, is what I really wanted to talk to you about. Uh, for here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. So if we accept this challenge of leaving the camp, leaving the confines of, of, for the Jews, leaving the confines of their Judaism and stepping out, the reason why they would do that is they were focused on something. They were focused on something eternal, the heavenly Jerusalem. Um, and you know, heaven not meaning harps and clouds, but heaven meaning a more tangible city eternity. It's really talking about focusing on eternity. Okay? I want to summarize all that all those scriptures into one point, which I'm going to call the original point. And again, it's good Bible practice. You should always understand what the author intended to his original audience as the original point, and we'll translate that into our modern meaning here. But the original point, the Hebrew believers were encouraged to be estranged from their community, just like Jesus, to be focused on the eternal. That meant stigma, that meant rejection, meant being ostracized from their community, Loss of wealth, resources, lands, farms, driven out of town, threats of death, actual death. And the truth be told that all around the world this morning, believers are experiencing the very same things as they leave Islam, as they leave Buddhism, as they leave 
religions where culture and the religion are so t- tightly pulled together that leaving one means you're now a social outcast. So this experience that the Jews were experiencing as they were leaving Judaism is experienced by believers all the time. Now, we here in the United States, we don't, we don't suffer that quite, uh, quite in that American context. So let's, let's convert it to my point for today. And if you're, if you're following on the, uh, the sheet, we're officially flipping the page here now. Um, the point for today, we believers are challenged to suffer loss and endure disapproval from our culture, just like Jesus did, because we are focused on the eternal. Okay? Suffering, you know, whether that means you know business deals that don't happen because of ethics, uh, looking over promotions because of ethics, uh, you know, living with less because we give generously, uh, enduring disgrace, blame, disrepute, contempt, rejection. Uh, there, there's all, and I'm not talking about when we do things wrong. You know, sometimes we believers, uh, we, we we sin. You know, we act out in bigotry. Uh, we're thoughtless. We don't reflect God's love and how we interact with people. And, and when that happens and we experience these bad things, that's, that's not what this is talking about, okay? This is talking about when we're doing right, when we're living rightly, when we're living justly, and we suffer as a result. And I think, um, I think sometimes we, we focus on changing our city, uh, or dare I say our nation even, uh, to become more righteous, because uh, we want the city now where we don't have to experience this loss, where we don't have to suffer this disapproval. But the reality is that actually is not what we're called to do. We look here at the, the point again where the verse says, we are seeking the city which is to come. Like we're looking for something in the future, not something here on earth now. And so there's a, there's a tension there between wanting, wanting what's nice now, wanting the, the, what's righteous now, and being focused on a future. Okay? So... Uh, are focusing on or to seeking the city, what seeking the city I think means to us uh, is that we're focused on the eternal. If you go back to what my my friend Rob taught me, people are eternal. That is what matters: is people, the relationships, the connections. Those are the things that are going to last, especially to the extent that they understand Christ. Um, where does that start? That starts with our starts with people, our neighbors, our coworkers, people in our city, and that extends out to the very ends of the earth of our focused. On eternity, focused on sharing good news with people. Um, let me say that one more time here. Each and every day, with the time and resources God has given to us, invest in people and relationships. Start with our family, neighbors, coworkers, the city, and around the world. Okay, so I got a challenge for you. A little little, little to do item here on the on the back here. There's a fair amount of blank space, and the reason that is, is it's it's the season of doing goals and uh, New Year's resolutions for 2017. And so uh, I, wanted to, I wanted to challenge you as you work through your goals for this coming year to think about the eternal in each of your goals and figure out how is what I'm doing, what I'm setting out to do this year, how is it matching up to things that are going to matter forever. And so I have some examples. Back into that, the start of this passage about imitating your leaders, I thought I should just share, share my personal goals here. That way you get to learn a little bit more about me and uh, it's just some, it's some examples. So please take, take some time as you leave here uh, uh, to think through your goals and think about how you can be making an internal impact with your, with your goals. Um, so I have, I have some goals here. So the first number one is uh, some personal goals. And my first one is I'd like to lose, in 2017, I'd like to lose 10 pounds. Right? That's probably a goal that a few people have here as well. 
Uh, and not because this body is eternal. It's going to be replaced. Not because I want to look better in this life, because vanity is fleeting, but uh, so that it would be a useful tool. You know, my doctor says, hey, I need to lose a little bit of weight, so we'll lose a little bit of weight, so that I can be an effective tool in the hands of God to do his work here. Okay, another personal goal here for 2017, I'd like to climb broken top with my wife. Uh, and you say, Jeremy, how is that an eternal, how is that an eternal goal? Okay. But actually, for us, uh, it's, a, it's a good way for us to experience the creation. And it's a very renewing time when we, we do some big hikes. And so to me, it's, it's kind of a time of spiritual renewal, just focusing on who God is. And also for our marriage, it's a great time for our marriage. So we, get, we get reconnected and plugged in that time. And so the, our relationship with God and our relationship with each other is eternally important because it's going to impact our family and our kids and even our ability to be up here being involved in ministry is contingent on our marriage being healthy. And so I think it has eternal, um, has eternal impact. Okay, so I have some workplace goals. Um, in 2017, I want to cultivate meaningful relationships at the office that can lead to discipleship relationships. Now, if I, you know, I work at the church, right? So this, if, I was a, if I was working someplace else, this might include... Uh, you know, some witnessing uh, relationships as well as discipleship. But I want to be intentional with the people who I interact with on a regular basis to be doing what God has called me to do with them. Okay? In 2017, I want to excel at my work of administration so I can best represent God among my coworkers who depend on me and to the community at large. So I want to do a good job with what I'm doing because, not just because, hey, that's something good I want to do, but because there's an eternal impact by doing well I have a, a platform or I have an ability to interact with people and speak into people's lives because they look at, hey, you're doing your job well. You're, everything is okay and it looks right. And so I have a, a platform to speak. So we, we should do well in what we do so that we have a platform to speak good news. Um, some neighborhood goals here. This, this last year, my wife and I built a fire pit in our back, or, you know, fire area in the backyard. We've yet to invite our neighbors over. Our neighbors matter. In the light of eternity, our neighbors matter. I need to invite them over. So that's one of my goals. You guys can hold me to that. Uh, so we have a couple neighbors around us that we're starting to get to know. We've, we've been there about a year. Uh, so that was one of my goals for 2017. Some financial goals. Um, you know, leaving, leaving the, the mission field, we, we know a lot of folks who could use some resources that would be much more effective in making an eternal impact with people. And so we have some, some challenges on ourselves to be good stewards of the resources we have required, or that we have acquired, or we have, especially being here in Corvallis in the United States, we, we on a global from a global perspective, we are wealthy beyond measure, um, and so we'd like to be found faithful stewards of that. Uh, and then one one final spiritual goal for myself: um, I want to attend the, the Church of the Valleys pastors' prayer meeting. They get together every week. And pray, and so it's kind of a, something. It's it's sometimes hard to cut out time and schedules to make that happen, but it's one of my goals to make sure I do that uh, every week. To, and the eternal impact of that is, you know, growing a prayer relationship. So that's there's some direct eternal rewards to that, but also finding some mentors and folks that can speak into my life uh, and grow and mature me as a as a as a pastor or as a leader. So there, those are my goals for 2017. I encourage you. As you plan out and do do plan um, for this coming year, but to consider the eternal, how you can interface your faith and your reality in a way that is consistent and is focused on the city which is to come. Okay? I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. We're going to go into a time of communion here in a moment. 
And uh, again, just reflecting on the, the, the bread and the cup, what Christ has done for us, the sacrifice that was made, uh, that we're strengthened by grace, um, and that we're focused on the eternal. So there is stations all around the room. Oh, I need to give those back to her. Yep, go for it. Uh, and so as, as the music begins, as you're, as you're led, you're welcome to stand up and go out to the corners and take the juice in the cup. And uh, you can take that in the wings or you can come back to your seat, whatever is comfortable. Take it as a family. Uh, thank you for being here today. And uh, I would like to, we'll close in prayer and uh, we'll kick off the music. Uh, Father God, Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you that you have given us everything we need uh, in Christ. Lord, that we have been given grace and mercy, and peace, and a relationship with you. And Lord, I pray as we collectively look forward to 2017 and this coming year, Lord, I pray that you give us eyes to see uh, eternally. And Lord, see the, the value that you have in people, the value you have in relationships with people. And Lord, I pray that you would give us opportunities to make an eternal impact through the words, through the time, and through our interactions with people. And, uh, Lord, we're thankful for those who have done that before that have reached us to us personally. And uh, so, Lord, we uh, commit this time to you and uh, commit this year to you. And we pray this all in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Mm-hmm.